Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. It's an honor to be speaking with Tiffany Llewellyn. Thank you so much for uh, speaking to the Spectrum community today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love uh, Spectrum, so thank you for the invitation. Oh, well, we love you, too. You are, after all, the community <laughs> clinician and the founder and president <laughs> of Adventists for Social Justice, um, which is, I think, one of the most vibrant intellectually activism-wise, community-building uh, places in the entire church today. So thanks for all the work that you do there. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, by the way, I have to congratulate you on your uh, doctorate of social work. You just Thank you. Yeah, you just completed that, right? So I completed it um, last August. Okay. Um, and so my master's degree was from Hunter College, but I did my doctorate at University of Southern California. Oh, congratulations. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, um, do you mind just talking about um, what it's like to uh, have started Adventists for Social Justice and to be really in the middle of one of the most important moments in kind of American social justice history now and really leading the Adventist church toward a, a deeper consciousness of, of what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. That is uh, such a great question. Um, interestingly enough, in about a week or so, ASA would be officially four years old. We started um, in July 6th in 2016, um, really in the midst of a moment uh, very similar to what we are experiencing right now in our country, actually. Um, After the death of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, uh, two really high-profile police violence cases uh, is really how ASA formed. And so here we are four years later and not much has changed. Um, And so... For those of us, a part of the leadership team and, and, you know, a part of our larger ASA membership, it's just been so interesting to see the need uh, for what brought us together to formalize still being such critical work. Um, at the time when we started ASA, our intention was really to lock arms and be able to collaborate and build uh an organization or movement that would change policing in our communities would really address uh, racism and systemic uh, injustice across, you know, systems of our societies, specifically to policing. Um, But what we had encountered at that time was really the need to provide or almost build a case for social justice in our church at that time. Um, because our theology uh, within Adventism had not necessarily been taught and preached in a way where having an organization like Adventist for Social Justice was sort of just a welcome uh, change for for our members. Um, And so we have spent the last few years really going into 
uh, different congregations and attending various conferences or programs, uh, speaking about the need for us as Christians to pattern uh, Jesus's own ministry in engaging uh, ministry and work for the oppressed, for the marginalized, for those who are often ostracized and uh, really impacting impacted within society. Um, and so four years later, we are here at this really interesting time where we're able to shift into more action-oriented uh, work, uh, developing more chapters in the local churches, doing trainings around social justice advocacy, understanding the issues, uh, not just nationally, but in local church communities. Um, and really reconnecting ourselves to our early Adventist pioneers and the work that they did and really picking back up that mantle to push our churches forward uh, into this larger conversation of work around social justice. Wow, that's so much. I love mm-hmm. uh, what you do with the conferences. I, I have often told folks that it was um, really the antidote to, to anyone who says, you know, where is the church going? Where's the fire in the church? Mm-hmm. When I was there, I really saw the um, the kind of uh, passion for um, connecting what we believe as um, Adventists to action. Um, and yeah, yeah, the conference is, is such, I mean, it's, it's a one of a kind experience. You have to, to be there to feel it, you know, um, to really catch that, that passion. Um, and we like to say that the conference is a space where we seek to equip, educate and empower. And so we really like it to be multi-layered where, um, it's not just educational based. We have a lot of like workshops and really provide um, information where our attendees can learn about the different issues that we um, advocate for um, so that they are able to speak to those issues, um, equip them with the skills and how do you now generalize this back into your community? But also, how do you feel empowered knowing that in this space there are um, numerous people who share this passion with you and that in and of itself really energizes us all after the weekend is over. Absolutely. I left there uh, full of energy and uh, came back to the spectrum board and said, folks, we've, you know, you've got to go. And I know our board chair, Carmen Lau went uh, the next year and and found it mm-hmm. really inspiring. Um, so you are doing a lot. You're right here in an exciting <laughs> moment. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I would like for you just to talk a little bit. I know what ASJ does is so broad. I think your Facebook page is something that folks, it's a great portal into the energy that's happening. It's a, a incredible mix of book recommendations, notices about all kinds of conferences happening at churches. By the way, I want to men- talk about your uh, really important point about misogyny at those conferences later on in this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I would like for you just to talk about what it's like. I mean, you've got a lot of folks there. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked with uh, Courtney Ray, uh, mm-hmm. Lorena uh, from the Bronx there, uh, mm-hmm. good friend of mine from undergrad days. 
And uh, you've got lots of folks kind of in there debating. You've got uh, folks posting. <laughs> it's it's a it's a wild, exciting place. Can you just talk about uh, what you think of what's going on there? <laughs> wild and exciting are like the perfect words <laughs> to describe the AJ group page, actually. <laughs> um, it's been so interesting to see how the page has expanded and grown over time. I mean, when ASA started, we just thought we would have a little Facebook group with about 20 of our people. Um, and that was really it. We did not expect at all that we would have a group of over 5,000 people. Um, and so with a space like that, there uh, is just a mixture of different uh, worldviews, different perspectives, different lenses from which we all uh, view not just ourselves, but our spirituality, our uh, social uh, leaning and understanding, different political viewpoints. And so within the ASA group, all of that comes together. I am so grateful for um, our three moderators. You mentioned Lorena. Um, Jeffrey and, um, oh my gosh, your name is slipping me now, but our moderators to help us really manage that page um, and the conversations that happen and ensuring that, you know, even as we exchange different thoughts and different perspectives that we remain respectful um, to everyone. Uh, one of the things I love about the page is, is, is just the variety in people's worldview. Uh, as a therapist, I love learning about how people think, why people think the way they do, what drives those those thinking, what are the lessons and the experiences that have kind of led people to the position that they are in today. And so the ASA group page really helps me when I have the time to hop in there uh, to see where people are and how they got to, to the, the points and the positions that they hold. Um, and so we do a lot in there, you know, people share their programs, uh, share things happening in the news, but often someone will just sort of start up a conversation about religion, about our denomination, about our world. Um, and, and the engagement is always high. It's always great. And very rarely we have to take any sort of, uh, disciplinary measures <laughs> to remove someone from the group or, or something like that. Uh, sometimes it gets a little wild and out of control, but we try to at least um, maintain a certain standard for engagement in the group space. So if you are listening and you like conversations around a variety of justice issues, the ASJ group is certainly a place that you will enjoy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, uh, I have to tip my hat to you and your team because um, as anyone who's been a part of a Sabbath school discussion group that goes beyond just platitudes um, to uh, trying to comment online, um, you know, trying to understand what a community's uh, borders are for what's uh, acceptable and what's not acceptable. Discourse is mm -hmm. is always tricky. It's fluid, and um, it can be a difficult conversation at times. So, anyone trying to uh, facilitate conversation deserves 
um, all the praise in the world. So thank you very much for. Yeah, they they are doing a great job, Melissa. That's our third moderator. They they do a great job holding it down in the in the group. So I don't have to do much. I don't do much uh, with the group space, um, and I fully trust our moderators to create an environment. Um, that upholds the overall ASA standard. Yeah. Well, you are the therapist. I'm not. But I'd like to flip uh, the script here for a second and just ask you a little bit about um, what uh, drives you to uh, do the important, um, you know, kind of social work, uh, psychologically informed um ministry that you do as part of your career. Um, I think what makes one of the things that makes ASJ uh, so effective is it's so professional. It's um, and no knock to all our wonderful pastors out there, but uh, we a lot of Adventist things are run in part by uh, driven uh, primarily by theology and an understanding of kind of the human condition is secondary. And um, I think you hold theology and psychology um, together in a really beautiful way. And I'd just love for you to talk about how you decided that you would pursue uh, this career. Yeah, Um I decided or I knew that I would be a social worker since I was 12 years old. Um, Wait, it's why? Really been... What? what? <laughs> <laughs> I have to stop you there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so my stepmother, um, well, one, I think in the field of social work, most times social workers have a story. Um, and so my own story of being raised um, in a kinship family, raised by my grandmothers in Trinidad and Tobago, um, not meeting my mom till I was much older, not living with parents until much older. I always sort of understood the dynamics around different family structures, lots of different contributing factors that impact people's lives themselves, their identity. And so my own personal story made me more um, attuned to the needs of people in society and other children who um, may have had similar or other experiences like mine. But also when I was 12 years old and I lived in Canada at that time, my stepmother worked at um, a foster home for girls. And so just observing the relationship that she had as a social worker um, with those children at that time, I immediately decided this is what I had been looking for. This is what I had been thinking about and um, what I wanted to do, which is why all my degrees are in social work. <laughs> um, it's kind of just where I saw myself um, and lots of other professions, I think, drew me and uh, I'm interested in. Um, but social work has always been my core. And, and I, it's what I wanted to be an expert in and, and really engage myself in all aspects of the field. Um, and so for me, the, the ASJ space is just an extension of social work uh, because embedded within the social work profession, uh, one of our core values, our core ethics is so is social justice it's human dignity it's respect for the person yeah um and so i tell people that i have been doing social justice work since i entered my first social work class 
um, I remember during undergrad, we were in our communities doing our work at our local schools. You know, we do our internships. I remember protesting in New York City for taxing the rich. Um, all these things during my undergrad and grad career. And so um, I have been involved and on the ground uh, and doing justice work uh, just by being in my profession. Uh, and so that's been one of the great, I guess, transitions to a space like ASJ is that it really just became an extension of my professional life. Um, and I think what also makes ASJ um, a beautiful space is the shared leadership uh, and the shared responsibility and that we have individuals who are experts in their own fields that are joining together and together we move this organization forward, which to me is really uh, a replica of how the social work field works, where collaboration and working with other individuals across different industries is a part of how we do our work for the populations that we serve. It's not siloed, um, but it really works best when we build those multidisciplinary teams. We clasp hands to do the service. Um, and so that's really the model that I bring to ASJ, um, knowing that, you know, individually, we don't know everything, but together we know a lot more. Yeah. Uh, together we do a lot more. Uh, and I think that's one of the benefits and have been one of the gifts of uh, the ASJ organization. Absolutely. You know, um, it really, f you, you posted a conversation you had. I don't know if everyone was on your executive team um, on that Zoom discussion, um, but it felt like a real moment of uh, lay excellence in the church. Uh, you had mm -hmm. attorneys on there um, and, um, you know, social workers and uh, educators and it's really encouraging to see the that part of the church really speaking out from a, a professional uh, viewpoint. So, yeah, and I think um, just from feedback that I have gotten over the years, is one of the things that draw people to ASJ and specifically draw them to our conferences because within our churches, usually. Uh, pastors or those with theology degrees are at the forefront, um, leading a lot of uh, initiatives or doing a lot of the teaching. Um, and often the lay individuals don't have as much of a platform. And so the way we certainly wanted to structure, I remember the first ASA conference, we were intentional about identifying professionals in their fields um, and, and, you know, really giving lay people a platform to be able to teach and share their knowledge base. Um, and I think that has really drawn people to our organization over time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, if I can um, return to something you wrote recently, as in two hours ago. Uh, <laughs> Which one? I'm always writing something that gets me in trouble. <laughs> Well, I will actually read uh, this, and then I'd love for you to respond um, to okay. your own words. But really, uh, you know, this is uh, your platform. The percentage of women in the church far outweighs men, yet I have watched in disbelief the flyers of your church conferences that have the courage to put out these 
that have uh, been put out these past weeks promoting programs with upwards of five plus men for two, one to two women, if even that. Throwing one token woman in the mix is not actually being an advocate for equality. You don't get a gold star for your performative actions. Ouch. If it's all optics, <laughs> you get an A, but for audacity. Beautiful writing there. I love the message. Tell me more. <laughs> did I write that? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, you know, we continue to, it, we, we address it, but then also avoid it. There's a spotlight on it and then almost a silencing or erasure um, of this this issue of how women are treated um, in our churches. You know, we, we see it with the entire women's ordination fight uh, and, and just this devaluing of the anointing or call that continues to be on women. Uh, women in ministry have to work twice as hard, three, four, five times as hard, speak two, three times as loud, yes. be three times as um, dynamic to be able to be given an opportunity or a platform. And I know I say this as someone who I, I typically take the position of, I am not going to fight for a place at the table. I create my own table. Mm. And I know when I started ASJ, I was explicitly told that ASJ would fail because I was a woman. And in order for ASJ to succeed, I needed to have a man co-leading with me. Wow. Um, And so, yeah, so these are the messages that women continuously uh, face in our churches. And the last few weeks, um, it's just been even more evident when I look at every week, there's a new panel, there's a new discussion happening. There are millions of flyers all over. Many of our camp meetings are starting. And it's just been this stark reality um, and wound really to see so many men on uh, on a flyer, to see the visual representation because we know it happens, especially as a woman, we know that, you know, we truly aren't given equitable access or platform. We really, we really don't operate in an inclusive church space many times. Yeah. But seeing the flyers has just really been disheartening. Um, and I think what makes it even more of an issue for me is it's not that women are not leading the church, right? Because the percentages tell us that if we go in any local church, more than likely, there are many women that are actually a part of leading and sustaining, upholding our churches. Yeah. So if we know this to be fact, then how is it that when we have these programs that women somehow only have one spot, one position um, in the midst of many men? Uh, and I think there are many men who consider themselves to be progressive consider themselves to be uh, advocates for women's equality. Uh, But there are blind spots uh, that I believe men are not seeing. Men in ministry, men who are organizing are not seeing um, when it comes to how they put their programs together. And something should tell you that if I have six people on a panel, five men and one woman, that there's something wrong with that. Yeah. But if 
if that is not even able to be acknowledged or seen or brought into the conscious awareness of an individual, then you may not be as progressive as you say you are. And those blind spots are even more damaging. Um, and so it's really been a continuous observation for me over the past uh, few weeks, past few months, really. And so today I just kind of, um, I saw another flyer. Last week, I was a part of a conversation where, you know, there were camp meetings happening and all men were on the program for for the morning, two weeks. Um, women were, there were only two or three women in the afternoon. And I mean, it just really broke my heart. It breaks my heart, not just for women pastors, but for all of us women in the church and how patriarchy has really resigned us to the margins, to the back. Uh, really try to dismiss the gift and the experience, the expertise that we bring to a lot of these topics. Um, and I think it's time for women and men to speak up and speak out about it and bring it into the consciousness of all individuals so that it can change in practice. Yes. Well, thanks for speaking up on that message. I, you know, uh, understanding intersectionality and and how we have to move together and really be aware of of our blind spots is uh, I think mm -hmm. a a a an act of of sanctification. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really you know even when you talk about intersectionality, just looking at this moment that's happening in society right now, especially within the Black community. Uh, and many of us as Black women are having conversations about the response or the lack of response or action behind Breonna Taylor's killing yeah. in comparison to Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd. And really, the fact that we haven't seen justice for Breonna Taylor, but also haven't seen the collective push uh, for Breonna Taylor, for Black women, for other women as we see for other men who um, who are also victims. And it's the ongoing conversation in our communities of Black women constantly show up for men, for Black men, um, but we don't really see the same response. In fact, I was having a conversation with a couple of peers of mine about sitting on panels and it really being hurtful to hear men not even really know Brianna Taylor's name. Wow. To hear them um, mistake her name, mistake her name for other names. And I mean, it's just, it's just the ongoing lesson of how women are misvalued, mistreated um, in our society, in our communities. Uh, and so we have to be vocal for, for that to be able to change. We see it in multiple levels of our churches. Uh, where women just aren't fully given access to certain levels of leadership. Uh, and so I believe that, you know, my role is to do my part, to raise my voice, uh, and hopefully other voices uh, collectively, we can help to change these systems of patriarchy. Amen. Well, it's been really great talking with you. One final question. Um, as you're out here in the struggle, um, what gives you hope as you go through this? Hmm, that is a really great question. <laughs> I think what has given me hope in the past few months, uh, and I think over time has been 
hearing the stories of our elders um, and what they experienced, what they encountered in the fight for justice, how much more violent um, mm. their encounters were. Uh, in fact, one of my really good friends, she's also on the ASJ board, Daytrim Pelleggi, had shared with us her mother um, sharing how how scared it makes her watching us in this generation rise up and be a part of this fight and the fear and the memories um, of them being attacked by dogs and individuals and literally losing their life for this work. Um, And so when I talk to, you know, many of our elders that ASJ has just connected me to individuals like Dr. Rock and um, Elder Kibble and Mm. so many, so many other um, people um, I, I even got connected to Holly Fisherman the other day and I used her study about the civil rights era in Adventist all the time and it was my first time meeting her. Um, but hearing from our elders what they sacrificed, what they endured for the fight, it, it really energizes me. It really calls me to do my part um, to have the next generation look back at my generation and have our stories also fuel them. So it's really just a taking up of the mantle so that now it's our time to do our work. Um, and we will have stories that we will also pass down. That's really been uh, the energizing part for me this, this past few weeks. We can't make their sacrifices be in vain. Uh, we can't somehow use uh privileges that we have to escape these realities to remove ourselves from this work um but it's it's a part of our call it's a part of our duty uh and so that has really just maintained a level of hope uh in me these past these past few months well i join you in that hope uh thank you so much for talking with me today and i wish you all the best all the strength all the joy as you continue to lead asj and our church yes i knew sister white we will not fear the kingdom is alive the kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely 